0: Welcome to Nerds of the Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And no, I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we've got a special guest with us doing the movie that has been longest in the waiting. So <laughs> we have a special guest, Jim Pagiarillo, with us. Jim,
1: what are we watching and why do we? Why did we have to watch it? Oh, uh, we're watching The Warriors tonight. We're talking about The <laughs> Warriors tonight. Um... I've watched it more than any other movie in existence in my lifetime. Uh, I saw first saw this movie when I was eight years old. It was an ABC movie of the week. And uh, I've, I was uh, enthralled by the movie and fascinated by it. And it has stuck with me uh, ever since uh, through the VHS worn out, three different worn out VHS copies of it. Yes. The uh, the Blu-ray, which doesn't—I don't acknowledge—but um, all my friendships, every serious friend I've ever had, uh, all my girlfriends, anyone that I tried to date, um, <laughs> they all had to sit through the Warriors with me, and it was the Warriors test to, to see how they would react, would determine. Uh, usually, it's not as crucial anymore as, as a forty-eight-year-old, but uh, in my formative years as a teenager, as a young adult, as a Uh, a man looking for a soulmate, it was very, very important to see how people reacted uh, to the Warriors. Okay. All right.
2: (laughs) Well, that's very interesting. Jim, I would like to ask you a question. You say you don't acknowledge the Blu-ray. Now, is that the special edition, the the so-called director's cut, where it's basically the same movie, but they have like the Ang Lee Hulk comic book transitions from scene to scene?
1: Yes. Uh, that and, what, okay, that's why. and my biggest complaint with that was because Walter Hill somehow wanted to m- ensure that his viewers uh, were removed from reality. you know they they add the tagline sometime in the future, and then they have to insert comic book panels uh, like we wouldn't know that this wasn't real, you know <laughs> right. is, even at eight <laughs> years old, I didn't think that there were gangs that colorful. Uh, <laughs> running around New York City. Jim, don't ruin it for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the baseball theories have to be real.
1: Yeah. And that's part of the appeal when you're eight years old, because if you're into comic books, it's the colorful costumes, very flamboyant, mm-hmm. very uh, exaggerated characteristics. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how successful a gang of mimes would actually have been <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> They have to tell us that it wasn't real. We don't need those reminders, those cues uh, from the director. It just seems so arrogant, and it, 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 you know, it kind of tarnished a little bit of the history for me. So,
2: okay. Uh, okay well, I, I was just wondering about that because I know this is a very <laughs> beloved movie of yours, and I and I did see, you know, as we were searching this movie, I did see that there was a director's cut, which was. One minute longer than the theatrical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, well, let's just deal with this one minute. And I've done a little bit of digging, and that, that, those transitions seem to have been it. But before we dig too deep into the gritty, grimy New York of the Warriors, Jim, we would like for you to share with us something that you have been enjoying lately in our Keeping It 100 section. Okay. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100.
1: Um, the boys. The boys on Amazon Prime is season two, and if you saw season one, if, Boys is based on the Garth Ennis uh, comic book series. Uh, very satirical. Very, um, very nuanced look at what would happen if superheroes existed in um, in our reality right now. Our our, our media intensive, corporate, uh, controlled, uh, reality right now. And, uh, the consensus is that they would all be assholes <laughs> and, uh, brutal murderous assholes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Uh, it's, it's, it's my favorite thing to watch right now. Uh, it, it, there's, they're starting to get a little cocky and start to, starting to take down, um, certain institutions like the MCU, uh, a little Zack Snyder, Joss Whedon comments in in episode six. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're about halfway. They're a little bit past the halfway mark if you have Amazon Prime and you have a a strong stomach for violence. You don't mind um, really crude uh, graphic sexual situations. uh, This could be for you. (laughs) So uh, it it premieres. A new episode drops (laughs) every Friday. Uh, I usually wait they usually come out Thursday evening at 10 o'clock I usually watch them twice before I go to bed so I can <laughs> easy um, uh, but yeah I don't want to spoil too much but it is a very violent um, sexually graphic show but it is very well written and it's very sharp and very shrewd and I would highly recommend it to anyone who uh, likes the comic book world or has an interest in the comic book world and wants to see a different take.
2: Yeah, I've, I saw the first, uh, I saw most of the first season. It is very, very graphic, very vivid, a very interesting take on what your superheroes could be. Right. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Well, let's go ahead and delve into our thoughts and grades for the Warriors.
0: All right, um, I'm gonna go. F- I'm, I get the privilege of going first, and I'm so curious about this. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go B plus on this one. Um, I'm gonna anger Jim a little bit. Um, it's not a great movie. Uh, I'm not even certain it's a good movie, but it's incredibly entertaining and it's very interesting. Um, and what's has struck me recently is the more often I watch this movie, every time I watch it. Um, I find it more interesting and I find that I like the movie more with each rewatch. And so B plus. All right. Dwayne.
2: Okay. B plus. Well, um, I am going to go a little bit lower here in a moment, but you know, one thing this movie is highly stylized. It's so vivid, the characters, the situations it's of an era. In New York, it's so atmospheric. The night is almost a character. You have all of these gangs in control. The police, you know, sort of are the villain of this piece, along with, you know, some of the rival gangs to our heroes. But there are heroes on all sides, it seems like. But I love the view of New York, the graffiti everywhere, you know, this old, dirty city. Uh, But... It's not a great movie, and I hope with subsequent... Now, I will preface this, but this was my first watch, as Jim said before we started recording. You know, he was worried about adult eyes viewing this. And I can see how this would be a movie of an era, you know, in our youth. And I hope with subsequent rewatches, which I plan to do because I'm sure there's a lot that I've missed. But I'm going to go with a C plus, C+. And we'll get into that later. Sam, hey okay.
3: You know, um, I, I, I talked to you guys about this. You know, this was not, this movie was not on my radar when I was younger. Um, but now that I'm older and I'm looking at it through, I guess, the lens of cinema, you know, this, this is tail end of 79. What is it? February 79, I believe, is when this released. So if you look at the 70s, you had a number of these kind of urban drama vibe movies. You know, think of Magnum Force, Dog Day Afternoon, Taxi Driver. You had all of these kind of, I guess, the seedier side of life in the city before the 80s switched to the suburbs and, and basically birthed the Brat Pack. You know, so Warriors, it's, it's almost like that, that last bit of the decade that was still pulling on – those seventies types of feel. And I love the fact though, that, that the inspiration does come from Greek history. uh, And there's little bits. I mean, it's not a one-to-one correspondence. There are little bits, Uh, you know, uh, the character Cyrus directly comes from Xenophon's, Uh, Anabasis story Ajax is from Homer's Iliad so you get that Greek vibe in some ways Uh, though the acting's a little melodramatic I think this is a rewatchable movie hey just a little get this this thing has a 90% Rotten Tomatoes rating okay I've watched it twice I give it an A minus
2: I like this movie (laughs) Okay.
1: Well, I, I, yeah, that's fair. all of it's fair. All the criticism is fair, <laughs> but fortunately for me, uh, I saw this movie at a very formative age. I was eight years old. So imagine I'm forty eight years old now. So forty years of my judging of movies, especially action movies, is is this better than the Warriors or is it not? And that's set <laughs> awesome, for me for all movies, all of them. All, every single one uh, that I've seen ever since then, and um, you know and, and there was a, what's what's great about this movie is the way it's resonated within pop culture. This movie was not a huge success at the box office. yeah uh, you know, there was there were theaters had the option to pull it because of the fear of gang violence, but for some reason, you can still find drops of and references of um, the warriors in uh, all through pop culture. Um, in the 90s, there was a, a really big com- uh, res- uh, a resurgence of Warriors references in uh, sneaker commercials, in hip hop. Uh, N.W.A. The song "100 Miles and Running" is a, is an actual uh, recreation through song of the Warriors' uh, journey, complete with DJ. Um, if you say, if you, put, here's an anecdote. In Applebee's, when I was in college, um, my friends were clinking glasses together, and one of us started. <laughs> saying the words, Warriors, come out to play. We had a whole bar actually chanting that. Warriors, come <laughs> out to play. Uh, you know, and, you know, it, it, there's something so... It, it's it's not a good movie. And, you know, back <laughs> it, it, it's no, it doesn't make sense. And it can't... Especially if you're watching it in this era, you know, there's a, supposedly in an uncut scene, there's 120 warriors. It's like, why why does Cowboy get to go? And <laughs> did they not have a payphone, did not work, did, Could Did anyone not have a car that could go pick them up? You know, it's like they could hide somewhere. But there, there's so many little nitpicky things that you can have. But, but the fact is you know, you still see Baseball Fury costumes during Halloween. You still mm-hmm. see uh, the mm-hmm. video game even wasn't that big of a success. But still, there's there's still a love for that. And just the effect that this had on pop culture, that justifies my eight your old allegiance to this movie, <laughs> and I will die on that hill. That is something I will all stand on, and um, you know the iconic things like the "Can you dig it?" You hear that out of people every day. You know, it's, it's much less now that it's forty years old, but you know, as, uh, twenty years ago, um, you know, th- those were fresh. Those were still uh, those were still happening. And um, one of my favorite tidbits was I. Uh, this movie was very popular on ABC when, whenever they replay it, ABC actually created a made-for-TV movie starring a young Patrick Swayze called *The Renegades*, and they were a mod squad type remake. And they had these fictional gangs, but it was set in LA. Uh, and that was that, that movie. That t- made-for-TV movie was very successful. Uh, look it up on YouTube. Look up the Renegades intro, and you'll see a. a maybe 20-year-old Patrick Swayze playing a character named Bandit, and he was a leader of a group of gangs. Um, The show lasted... It was my favorite show when I was younger, but unfortunately, like a lot of my favorite shows when I'm 9, 10 years old, they only lasted six episodes. So kind of like The Master, um, if anyone remembers that. But um, really... So, I mean, I have to give it an A just because it's been such a big part of my life, and I'm not going to... uh, I can't. I can't with any good conscience give it less than, I mean, not just an A, but this is a Mount Rushmore movie for me. And uh, and we get into details later, but um, just the fact that, uh, you know, 30 years later, we can have look up the value of the Mezco toys that came out for the Warriors. They're still making Mezco toys that are re-releasing that Mm -hmm. sell out. And um, there is a, a very deep love for this movie. And I don't know it, it, I don't know if it's a positive or a negative of, about my personality, but <laughs> it, it is something that just resonates so strongly the idea that there's there are gangs and they all match and you know they're just they run into armies of other gangs that all match and uh, and maybe it's a comic book thing and maybe it's a sports thing I don't know, but it's it's very t- testosterone and uh, <laughs> yes yeah, it, it's looking back. I rewatched it again today, and this is probably – I mean, I, I, I'm not exaggerating. It's probably over 200, 300 times that I've seen this movie, and uh, it's still – there are – I still get a lot of joy from it. And But, oh, the, lo- the most recent pop culture reference, um, the movie Scott Pilgrim. Uh, the score, uh, which is amazing, the score uh, during the fight with the punks in the bathroom, they took that entire musical – uh, score. They they and they transplanted into his into Scott's um, fight scene with uh, Chris Evans. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So that because I was watching Scott Pilgrim and I was listening to I saw that scene. It's like that's the Warriors. That's from the Warriors. And I checked it out when I left the theater, and it, it, it turned out to be true. So you know, even little references like that. Um, you know, it, 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 I'm not alone. Just put it that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know we need to take a need to transition now, and yes. I know I'm taking a risk here, but I've got a question. <laughs> yes. um, okay, so we've established Edgar Wright's a fan of of Walter Hill, right? We were talking before. Um, so there's the there's the bathroom fight scene in The World's End. Do you think that's a nod to the bathroom fight scene in The
1: Warriors? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I believe, All and, right. I, and it, it's not uncommon to see things like that. You know, the there are nods to this movie. Uh, littered through through the cinematic history, of the last forty years. <laughs> wow. Well, know.
3: I don't I don't know about Jamie, but I hear. Uh, can you dig it at least once a week? Right.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that, um, we have it? a. Yeah, we have an award segment on a graphic <laughs> novel, and we use Cyrus yelling, "Can you dig it?" And. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay, uh, well, this I, is I, I, a I, movie of an era. And just like New York during a hot, hot summer, think we need some fans. Testing, so here we go. And I get to go first. on the fan section. Now, I know I had the lowest grade, but I loved this movie. I really enjoyed it. I think the acting brought it down quite a bit for me, but I'm going to get into that later.
0: There's a section for that.
2: There's a section for that. But, you know, and I, I had some notes written down here and Jim, as, as he was, you know, giving his dialogue as he was gushing there helped me to understand what it is that I love about this movie and what my fan is, you know, it's colorful, it's vibrant, it's creative, it's unapologetic, this movie is punk rock. This movie is a punk rock movie. It is what it is. It's unapologetic. It's creative. And it's influenced so much of pop culture. Like like you guys were saying. And I have even seen it since, you know, my, my one viewing. And like I said, I can't wait to view it some more to get a little bit more into that. But just like you know, back when the Sex Pistols and the Clash were coming out, you know, everybody who was into these bands formed a band. You know, you have these eras of, of music when something is so pure and so awesome comes out and everybody grabs onto it and takes off. This seems to be that. It's it's a pure story. It's not great acting. It's not greatly written, but it is what it is. And it owns it. And it kicks butt. And, you know, it, it just exists. And it's its own thing. And this is, you know, a punk rock movie to me. So it does have a long history thing. of existing. Yeah, that's my <laughs> <laughs> and, Well, I mean, what are we doing? 1979. And we're talking about it today.
0: I just wanted to be snarky. <laughs>
2: pandemic, uh, pandemic all around. The world looks like this New York. You know, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I love it. I love it. All right.
3: All right okay uh you know for for me I, I'm gonna go really specific on my fan there, there was one thing that really stood out to me I you know and I, I mentioned about connections to to Greek tragedy and all this kind of thing but there was another one that really stood out to me that I really enjoyed and that is the connection of the radio DJ to the oracle right she she is the speaker of wisdom she is the you know and the fact that that, that character is played by Lynn Figpin, all right, who was the voice of the chief on Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, okay? She was the voice of the chief, so those 90s kids out there will probably remember that show well. Um, you know, because if you think about it, if you are wanting to spread the word, you know, obviously in, in – New York City it would be the radio stations if you want to get something throughout all the boroughs the radio station would be the way and, and the fact that the music became this almost coded language because of the way they played that DJ I mean songs like Nowhere to Run and then obviously Joe Walsh is in the city that just made it so cool I think and, and so I really really liked the characterization of the DJ and how it worked into the story
0: She was also on Sesame Street. She was, <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> oh. Oh. All right. Oh, I guess I'm up next. Okay. Yeah, Jim, what's your thing? What's your uh, it's it, It's universe building. I, I love, especially when I was younger, love movies that capture the imagination. You want to know more about even just little things that may, even characters that may just flash on the screen. Um you know, or references that they drop, like when um, when Cyrus is talking about um, the Saracens standing next to the Moonrunners, and you got, you know, the bit, you got the, oh, no, it's the Jones Street Boys. It's the, you got the Saracens and the Jones Street Boys, and then you got the, um, you know, that you mentioned the Van Cortland Rangers. And just, I just, as a kid, I wanted to know more about these, what's the backstory behind that? And then right. you got that montage of gangs, and you want, I just, always want to know what their story what was their story how do they tie in why are they you know why are they featured um and it's and that ties in with the dj too you have an underground that's organized you know that's unified by the dj mm-hmm. and it's just that type of and i see it now and it's, it's one of the reasons i like the john wick movies so much because of they have that underlying universe that i just want to know more about and as a kid i really threw myself into it and uh, as much as I could find out pre-internet, and then when the internet, uh, I remember one of the first sites I ever went to uh, when I got first got AOL was a uh, website called The Warriors Movie, and it was a British site, so it was .uk.co, <laughs> and you know, it had the lead scenes, it had all the trivia, it had all of that, and not just the movie, but whatever tidbits they could put together from the actual story and then uh then in 2007 the warriors video game kind of uh that was like that on steroids so it when it comes down to what it's the universe and then trying to shrink down back into it it's that's what i'm the biggest fan of and i love movies like that and i hope they keep making movies where they have that rich universe where they don't answer everything and it just leaves you wondering yeah
2: leaves you craving for more yeah
1: and there's a there's a lot of that here, and
0: it's not and it's not just like you know like the looks of certain gangs, but like <laughs> it's just the the setup of the world, like you know how like how they got connected, like how the gangs are connected, like how how things work, how the uh, the riffs function as this weird cult army thing. I mean, it's just there's there's so much going on that just raises questions and just leaves it to your imagination. So it's it, I I agree that's one of the best things.
1: Like, uh, do they free passage to show up at the beach? If you had a if you had a <laughs> a group of at least 300, um, you know, African American people just showing up anywhere randomly. I mean, they're going to call the cops. (laughs) Do they have free passage? You know, do they get to go where they want? You know, I, who knows, but those are the things that just fascinate me.
0: Uh, well, my, my favorite thing about the movie has, has changed. Um, for me, it's, it's, it has become the, the relationship between Swan and Mercy. Um, And I find it really interesting because on on the first watch, you're just like, man, this dude is a jerk. Why is he being so mean to her? And why does she, I mean, I guess, and you're like, I guess girls really just do like, really just do like jerks. Um, But as, as I've, as I've rewatched it though, I think there's a lot going on there. I think that they're both really dissatisfied with their life. Like urban black has really gotten to both of them. And I think she can sense in him what she's already feeling that, um, like, we're, like we're, the scene where Swan says he disapproves of how she lives. And there's that long discussion there. And I, I think that he's got some self-loathing loathing that he's projecting onto her. And so there's, like, the whole, like, interesting thing. Because at the end of the movie, like, he just he just he gets to come out and he's like, <laughs> we finally not to get back to this? And he's like, I think I'm just going to keep moving. And and she's like, well, I, I love to travel. He's like, you've never been out of Brooklyn. <laughs> he's like, I like the idea of traveling. And I just get the impression, like, that there's supposed to be this, like, Emblems of, of what urban blight does to young people, and they kind and they kind of find each other, and they're kind of and he he's kind of resistant, and and we see that expression that his harshness toward her, and I just find that relationship really fascinating that he's trying to be mean to her, and that she sees through it, and she sees they're both kindred spirits. Like Ajax is not leaving this life, uh, he's all in. He's probably not going to live to see twenty five, but he's all in. But she can sense that. Swan's like her; he's unhappy, he's dissatisfied, and so there's just there's like layers to that relationship that I find really fascinating, and so that's that's my biggest fan for the Warriors. Awesome.
2: Well, gentlemen, are we ready to go through enemy territory, run through Hell's Kitchen, see if there's any pans laying around?
3: Let's do it. So I guess I'm leading off on pans. Um, so, you know, I really, I told you, I really enjoyed this movie, but there's one thing that really has kind of stuck in my craw. after watching it twice. I feel like the way that Masai and the Wrist discover the true events of Cyrus's death. It's a bit of a letdown. We get all this buildup. Only to have the truth come out because some unidentified random gang dude shows up as a witness. I mean, and they immediately take his word for it. You know, I mean, it's just it feels like there's something missing there. Why did he decide to come forward? You know, Jim mentioned about the, the world building thing and you question this. Why did he come forward all of a sudden? You Know the, the end scene itself is so exciting and tense, and I love the way that that, but it just feels like that lead up is missing that little bit of, of emotional punch. I wanted to see maybe Cleon was still alive and Cleon convinces them of what happened, something for just a little bit more of an emotional punch. There, so that, that's
0: my biggest pan. Well, my my the way it makes sense of that is they had met Luther, <laughs> they're like, Oh, Luther did it. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> but the, the thing is, I
3: mean that is such an integral part when they've been they've hunted the warriors all night long, and then all of a sudden we got this twist and oh, it was the the rogues, and it's this unidentified they don't even say who the gang he is part of, even when you look it up, it says unidentified gang member <laughs> you know I mean it's like the big emotional twist ha- has been given to this. Joe, Joe Thug off the streets, you know. <laughs> but I think that's my biggest, my biggest pain. I think okay.
1: uh-huh. it ties into mine as well because the riffs just in general are too reactionary, really. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, the warrior, the warrior did it, and they believe them, you know. It's like, and they, and that's what leads and. You know, they don't even, like, take the time to question question Cleon. You know, they don't. They don't. They don't, like, they just murder him. That's it. You know? And, and blame it all on the warriors. And you'd think that there'd be some intelligence, some scouting of, of who the big gangs are. And, you know, there'd be some information sharing. But no, that, that doesn't work out. Um, just the plot holes in general. You know, the it just doesn't make any sense how... They they weren't cut off from any communication. They could use payphones. I'm they, sure that they had people waiting for them uh, that they how they you know if word got around they would have listened to the radio station too and they would have realized hey our, our we might have caused some trouble up there let's go help them out but now there's no search party or or anything at all and that's really the biggest uh, biggest complaint I have about the movie but that's it no, no, no. yeah. And, else. and they
3: did, and they just did not murder Cleon. They were all like kung
1: fu fighting. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, the synchronized elbows go go back and yes. fight <laughs> yeah. Those elbow smashes were once they got Cleon Cleon down, they just surrounded him with yeah, just uh, it was perfect. Yeah, they was well, they well, they, well, they knew that that was his kryptonite El- elbow blows. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's
4: right. Yeah. Atomic, Atomic
0: elbow. elbow. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're, we're okay. We're already trending into my opinion. Um, the fight choreography. Is so bad. It's so bad. And it's not just a synchronized elbow beatdown on Cleon. The fight in the park with the baseball Furies is so bad. They every single person in that park only knew two moves with the bat. You hold it above your head to block, or you swing it sideways, or you swing it at the person blocking. And you can see them counting. it's so bad Um, I don't know I mean I don't know if it was a budgetary thing or if it was the lack of time to rehearse I don't know what it was or if they just didn't have a good fight choreographer Um, Mm -hmm. and you can't blame the 70s Errol Flynn was a thing Hollywood knew how to choreograph fights it's just terrible in this movie so yeah the fight choreography is my biggest fan I, I have trouble I know the Central Park fight is iconic I can't I have trouble watching it it's
2: just so bad well we're all treading into each other's uh, pans here uh, it seems to be leading one into another and I think the fight choreography has to do something with my pan and I just think that these guys just did not have the ability to act Um, you know, I've, I've heard the criticisms of the first, you know, two and a half seasons of the Clone Wars, you know, the animation style looked like the Thunderbirds, you know, go It was the wooden acting, just kind of maybe they're reading off cue cards. Maybe they went out and found some real gang members to try to be legitimate and realized these guys can't act. Now, <laughs> you know, that's that's my biggest complaint. And that's what really brought me out of the movie. Uh, You know, the physicalness is there, the appearance. I mean, these people are gorgeous in their costumes. All the colorfulness, all of the, you know, boister, posturing, everything. It's beautiful. But when they open their mouth to deliver a line, it's like, uh, down the street, we've got to run. And get back to Coney Island. Okay, you know it's just not there. That's that's my biggest pan. That and that's the biggest thing that took me out of it. But I, you know, I'm so interested in viewing this again and maybe getting past some of that now that we know a little bit more of the story and what's going down.
0: Well, I mean, I, I, I see, oh, That was
1: go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. Oh, but you have a good point because <laughs> the characters that stand out so much are the actual ones who became working actors after. Yeah. Yeah. James Packer Kelly and Michael Beck. Yeah. Uh, Swan and James Rymar. Mar- yeah, James and Mar- yeah. uh, But, you know, this was supposed to be a vehicle that was going to lead to stardom for Michael Beck, but unfortunately, there were three movies that started. <laughs> People watch this movie! Yeah. Was Zan- <laughs> he was the leading Xanadu and he was also uh, secondary uh, lead in Megaforce. So it was oh, Xanadu, wow. Megaforce, and the Warriors. And unfortunately, you know, that um, it, it kind of Career limited. choices. Yes. <laughs> it was weird. I just saw The Crow uh, last week and seeing him, uh, you know, as kind of a you know, an older version of, of Luther was just amazing. So. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But, I, I, th-
0: but I, th- I think there was some direction here, too, because Walter Hill says that he was intentionally trying to make a comic book style movie. And he he didn't want to have natural dialogue. He did not want to have natural interactions. He was trying things, he wanted things to be like uber intense and stylized. But there are a couple of people in this movie who absolutely cannot act. And that Walter Hill can't, (laughs) can't explain it away. I mean, Michael Beck thinks intensity means like standing like a block of wood. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's tough.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's, you know, and like I said, the physicality and stuff of a lot of these guys, you know, they're menacing. They're, you know, they're, they're gorgeous on scene. They're doing their thing physically, but when they're, you know, portraying, you know, emotion or acting, it's just not there. But if, uh, you know, if like you said, if Walter Hill, you know, wanted things to be unbelievable, <laughs> he should get Nailed a it. Just like Nailed our section. Let's get her to hang some awards on this thing. Graphically novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the Brothers Fugate discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel, three brothers who like each other but love comics. <laughs> okay. Jim, you have the honor of going first here with Best Performance. Um,
1: I think it has to be Cyrus. I think that was just really captivating. I mean it was a well thought out, well, you know, rehearsed monologue and he delivered it perfectly. And I, I unfortunately I, I'm misplacing the actor's name right now who he just passed recently Joel something. But um I, I think as far Roger as— Roger Hill. Uh, oh yeah, Roger Hill. As far as just perfor- straight up straight up performance, um it, it has to be Cyrus.
2: Yeah. I'm I'm going to agree with you, Jim. I'm going to jump in here next and agree with you. Yeah, Roger Hill as Cyrus. You know, can you dig it doing his best Morpheus? I was waiting for the machines to be one of the gangs, possibly. You know, as <laughs> he's giving his matrix speech. But yeah, the can you dig it? Yeah, his his uh, you know almost messianic you know presentation there. Yeah, he really was awesome.
0: I, um I'm I'm gonna go with uh Deborah Van Valkenburg. I probably said that wrong. Uh, <laughs> she's really good in this movie and all all the different emotions she has to to you know express, all the interactions, um, some really subtle stuff there that she has to get across and she nails it all. I'm I was really surprised. I mean Every time I rewatch this movie, I realize like she's the only person in this movie doing anything subtle. Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> it's it, it's so out of place though because that that scene subway uh, with the with the prom kids is so well acted where she just closes her eyes slowly. It's like you know, get that relaxing out of here. Come on, <laughs> it's like, just, <laughs> it's like don't movie. you know what movie it's you're? Such in? It's like a beautiful scene. It really is. Yeah. yeah,
3: that and that's such a such a subtle moment with her character and Swan as far as their interaction also. So uh, I'm going to swerve on this. And I think part of it's just because I like the actor. Uh, I'm going to give best performance to James Remar as Ajax. Okay. You know, Remar plays this character. It's a character we see constantly in movies. Anytime we have this hierarchical power structure, you've always got that second-in-command, who's constantly criticizing. I mean, it's Starscream off of Transformers, right? Jane Cobb from Firefly. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> co- in constantly command. criticizing every decision. Probably couldn't take charge effectively if push comes <laughs> to shove, right? It's overly boisterous. In, in this case, Ajax falls victims to his own character flaws. And if that's not Greek tragedy, I don't know. Right, but I like <laughs> Remar as an actor because he's in he's in Billy Zane's The Phantom. He's a poacher, uh, and right now he stars as Peter Gamby in the CW's Black Lightning, and he's the mentor and father figure to Jackson Pierce's Black Lightning. So I just like James Remar, and, and just th- that character is so over the top, but I just loved him. So
1: that, that dropping of the F bomb after he. Uh... <laughs> It's kind of like self belief that he took out the baseball series so easy. Like you know, fucking <laughs> <an> a. <laughs> <laughs>
4: One
1: last thing, as I just noticed today, and this is thanks to Heather, Roger Hill. She said he looks like a young rock. It's like, well. Look at the shirt he's wearing. It's like it's like the uh, the Rock character when he first turned heel was wearing a shirt very similar mm-hmm. to Cyrus and the Warriors, and th- th- I think there has to be a, a subtle connection there as well. Mm-hmm. That that's what he was trying to portray uh, when he was trying to uh, at his first attempt at- as heel Rock in, in the WWF. So. Um that's, a, that's a something new that you pick up every time you watch the award. It's a gift to keep on giving, guys. Come on.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for real. No doubt.
0: <laughs> well, our next award is best scene. And uh, I get to go first on that. And I don't want to go first. But Jim, I didn't want to, but Jim bailed me out. Um, I was torn between the scene on the subway with the, the two prom couples or another scene. And so we already talked about the prom couples a little bit. So thanks for that. Um I'm going to go with the opening. Um you know we talked before about the world building in this movie and that the opening it's a little bit awkward no it's a lot awkward. Um <laughs> it's it's choppy um but the music is perfect it sets the tone for the whole movie. Um the first gangs we see are I mean we've got you know the purple pimps and the <laughs> top hat mimes and I mean, it kind of sets the tone like okay you're entering a weird place. And the way the the warriors talk about Cyrus and the meetup, and it just it once that fight what five seven minutes somewhere and it's a really short scene. But once that is over, we're completely set up. You know, it's like a wind up toy. It's been wound up. We're ready to just start going. And so I think the opening is very effective. Okay.
3: You know, Jamie had kind of alluded to my best scene. Uh, we have talked about that relationship between um, Swan and and Mercy. And you are talking about with the prom couple. The scene that I liked the best, though, was after that. And Jamie kind of alluded to it when they first get back to, to Coney. Um, you know, when Swan picks up the corsage and hands it to Mercy, and she's like, What's this for? He says, I can't stand to see things that go, things get wasted or something to that effect, you know, something go to waste. Um, And I think that's telling about maybe Swan uh, from maybe a socioeconomic status. You know, things are hard to come by, so you don't waste them. But I think it's also that philosophy of his view of mercy. He doesn't want, he sees potential in her. He doesn't want her to waste what she has. And I think it, it's a realization. Uh, you know, I, I think he's the only one that really has real character growth in this movie from beginning to end. He's the character art to me. And, and we get a little bit more of him as we go through. So that, that that's probably my best scene. I just think that's, like I said, there's something subtle about it and it's telling about Swan as a character.
2: Okay. I'm going to go with a broad stroke here. Like I did. Uh, uh... <clears throat> In so many other places, because this is just such a broad, colorful movie. But as far as scenes go, I like it any time that they're on the subway, especially before Mercy gets with them. One, I mean, the the trains. I mean, I remember it being such a thing as a youngster. The graffiti was just so cool. Oh, any time we saw it, it, was such a thing for New York. But it seems like that it's the only time they're at ease. All the other times they're tense, they're posturing, they're running, but when they get on the trains, you know, and, and they're going from stop to stop, they get to sit and breathe, regroup and, and plan a little bit. And you kind of get a feeling more of who they are and what, you know, makes their motors turn, you know, what, what really gets them cranking. So those are some really important character building moments for me is anytime they're on the subway.
1: For me, I'm going to say it's the ending sequence as soon as they get under the boardwalk where they're equ- getting equipped for the final battle, um, having the rogues pull up in that hearse and you know, the iconic warriors come out to play with the bottles, uh, leading to the beach where you actually have daylight and you have open space. It's such a contrast to what we've seen the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um There's so many wonderful little things in in that, um, under the boardwalk while Luther's chanting, you see fear on their faces and you hadn't really seen that too often. Even though they're supposed to be home and safe, uh, they're actually genuinely afraid because they're exhausted. Um, And then finally when the riffs show up and he gets the, uh, Swan gets the compliment, the warriors are good, real good, and he does not show any humility and just as the best. The and best. then you crank in your yeah. Walsh and it just, you know, I don't have to even see it to like have that in my mind. It's so vivid. Everything in that last five minutes is just wonderful. So,
2: Yeah, that's great. And I love the juxtaposition that you're finally getting some daylight and that leads into the next award for me is favorite character. It's the best character, your favorite character in this movie. It really to me, New York at night seems to be such a character. It overshadows everything in this movie. It's so iconic. All the windows are shuttered, everything. But then you get the daylight. But yeah, that's 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 my is the, the city at night is so much a character to itself.
0: <laughs> Dwayne can't find it aboard, he can't be in. <laughs> 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 but but I don't think you're wrong. I think I, New York City itself is a character in this movie. It's more than just a setting.
2: Yeah, it's more uh, than a setting. It's it's truly a character, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, for Ben to a lot. No, I'm not going to do that. I was going to be snarky. But um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with the DJ. I love the DJ. Um, she's just so cool, man. And, and it's such an effective way to... Um, and because this is before cell phones this is before a lot of like modern conveniences like how does the word get out that Mm -hmm. the warriors took down this iris has been taken down at all and that the warriors have done it and she's it's this clever way to um to to get the whole plot moving to keep it moving to give updates to get different gangs in place to do all this kind of it was a really genius move but i love the way they chose to film it because we just see the lower half Mm -hmm. of her face at that microphone and it's so it's such a it's such a Compelling image. So all we get from her booth is her face and the needle drop. That's all we get, and it's just—it's just perfect.
1: Oh, I'll go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no sequence either. anyway. Um, best character for me—it's—it it, as much as I'm ashamed to say it has to be Ajax for me. <laughs> You know, sure. It's like okay. Hey, you guys wait here. I'm going to go rape this woman. You know, it's like it's (laughs) hard to get behind that. But really, I've always been say we describe. I've always been. I've always loved the malcontent number two, second in command, Uh, Jason from Battle of the Planet, Starscream. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) That's how I made the Starscream guy. Undermine order. Uh, yeah, and they, they're usually the most physically gifted of the groups. So you have that to admire, and you wonder, yeah, why is he command? He can beat everybody up. He's, he's the toughest, whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 it does shame me to say that as a 48 year old. He likes to be, I think he's an enlightened uh, adult man. Uh, but I have to go with Ajax with a lot of guilt, but not really. Sorry, not sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it helps that Rebar is the best actor in the movie yes yeah. right.
2: yeah. it's, it's true, yeah. true. And, and, and you um, know those characters yeah. are normally you know as, as Prince Humperdinck so eloquently said in the Princess Bride he said you know lies do not become us we are men of action you know those are normally guys who get the stuff done
3: So I went a, a, a different way with my character. You know, you know Dwayne definitely swerved with us. Um, I, I liked Vermin. <laughs> Vermin was hilarious. <laughs> All right. Now, only, well, I, I would say maybe 75% of the podcast right now will get this. He is the Ralph Mouth of the group. All right.
4: <laughs> uh, he
3: only has two things on his mind having a good time and women. That's all he <laughs> cares about. That is Ralph Mouth from Happy Days, hands down. So, like I said, I guess Ralph always cracked me up on the sh- that show. So, I just saw Vermin in that light. You know, he, he's just this little inappropriate, just a little. But just totally just living life and joking the whole time. So I liked Vermin. <laughs> it's an awful name to give a man with that kind of teeth, but you
0: know. I think Remar's character should have been Vermin, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, our next award is best quote. And uh Sammy, what do you got? There's a lot of options on this thing.
3: There there he is. And actually, Jamie, I think you had alluded to my my best quote. And it was from Swan. This is what we fought all night to get back to. And it was almost like you all talked about the night and the daytime, and it was almost like the day brought clarity. Mm-hmm. And when he saw Coney in the light, it was like is this really what we fought all night to get back to? Is this really, you know, and, and I think that leads, like I said, his character arc throughout this movie. I think that, that just kind of sums it all up.
0: I, I, I just, Dwayne, you can cut this if you want to. Um, part of me is picturing Sammy teaching math, yelling at the, at the at his kids, can't you count suck us? <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> but S- sammy stole mine I-, I think that line from swan to me is the most compelling line in the movie um and it and i think it kind of points to some like thematic depth in the movie that's not apparent on the surface so for me that one really sticks out i know we're, we're probably avoiding the iconic ones because they're so iconic that everybody knows them so we are trying to be creative but <laughs> but it really does point some depth in the movie that like you don't see if you're just looking at you know, the outrageous outfits and the stylistic way the dialogue is you know, delivered and the stylistic way the movie looks. But there, there is some depth to this movie and I think that line um, captures it the best. So.
2: Yeah, well, I'm going to jump in here before Jim and I'm going to say I'm going to go a little bit of a different way. That was a very iconic thing but I love Luther's quote uh, when Swan approaches him and he says, why'd you do it? Why'd you waste Sire <laughs> Luther in his David Patrick Kelly weaselly way? No reason. It's just like doing things like that. <laughs> you know, just no reason. It's like the Joker. He's just wanting to recap. It's you know, just, just wanting to be chaos for chaos sake. Uh, I love that part of his character. Did
3: anybody get, like, a strong Sean Penn vibe off him? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. is that what he was trying to channel, you
2: know? Nothing Sean Penn's channeling him.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with uh, someone. uh, Like I said, this movie has resonated with me, and I've taken quotes from this movie and used them in real-life situations, and the one that I've used the most... In real life, not in the last fifteen years or so, but there's a line that uh, when they're when when uh, vermin and Cochise and, and that crew that they, when they're in, hanging out with the Lizzies in their lair, Cochise turns to Vermin and says, "Yo, we should come to this part of town more often." And, he <laughs> and off, and I have any time that anything was promising with the ladies in my younger days about <laughs> in that fashion we should come out of town more often. <laughs> that's my favorite quote and then uh, the the one the, the other one uh, that I that we me and my friends have used in real life especially in college was the luther quote you know the no reason i just like doing things like that. Those have been applicable, real-life situational quotes that I have actually used, but it is Cochise that, that wins the day for me because, like I said, it has <laughs> been the last 10 years or so, but there's something just magical about how he pronounces the F in often.
0: And that is without a doubt his best line delivery in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, our last award is Best Gang, and there are so many options, some of them very culturally inappropriate, but, uh, Jim, what was your Best Gang?
1: Okay, it's a mixed bag, because you have to, as far as Best Gang, as far as the gang outside of the Warriors, who has resonated the most culturally... It would have to be the best, the Baseball Furies. And they, they get the best gag as far as visuals, as far as concept, as far as, you know, they actually come out what seems like a dugout and they actually have their bats waiting for them. And, it, and they're Yankee pinstripes and it's amazing. They've got the colorful paint. Uh, and, you know, I do still see them for Halloween. They You can buy Baseball Furies merch for Halloween costumes to this day. However, they are the biggest disappointment as far as. <laughs> Be like a gang should be, which means they should be able to fight. Somehow they drop a 9-4 to four advantage to a warrior, an unarmed, unarmed Warriors team who actually drops a man when they beat up Cowboys. So, <laughs> And they have baseball bats. And
2: they, and they have, have a weapon, yeah.
1: They have weapons. And they have weapons with reach. And they have the numbers. And somehow they still manage to lose. So I'm wondering what... Anyway, I'll just leave it at
4: that.
1: I'll just leave it at that, and uh, so they get both the best as far as cultural impact, but worst as as far as actual uh, fighting prowess is concerned. So, all right,
3: I, I would have jumped in with mine before. I'm afraid somebody's going to take my my best gang, my best gang. Are the ha hats. I mean, because come on, man. Of, of all the crazy gangs, we got a gang of moms going on.
4: Okay.
3: I mean, do they pretend to have bats and chains while they waste? You know?
1: Do they communicate with each other? Do they
0: actually I mean, can, can you put them in a box to get away? <laughs>
3: <laughs> What's it like when it's probably hits, you know? Like, but there's just <laughs> something so out there when you see all those moms come through, the nine moms, and it's like, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Quaking in fear out there <laughs> Oh, God. Now, now, I noticed this time that the baseball furies, I mean, they're wearing the face makeup and they never speak either. So. Right. Would a fight between the high hats and the baseball furies? Would the would the <laughs> furies miss with the bat every time? Or would the moms be doing mom stuff and be missing? Would that be the most like longest lasting quietest fight in the history of cinema?
1: Well, uh, I, I <laughs> could the high hats actually doing the pitcher pose. They do the wind up and see what the how the baseball. Bat <laughs> 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 that would be. Throw yes. so them balance. You know, it's like, like oh, yeah. You know, they have no choice than to act it out. <laughs> well
0: I, I'm gonna go with I think they're the punks It's the, the ones with the, the roller skate leader Yeah, the punks. <laughs> it's just so wild <laughs> the guys are rolling on roller skates and like goes into a fight scene with the roller skates on they all have this weird vaguely lumberjack outfit they've got on <laughs> <laughs> and they, they actually handle themselves pretty well that's almost a believable fight scene uh, so yeah the punks you know, but we'll, make, we'll make some punks, though, right? I mean, they're wearing overalls
3: and, and rugby jerseys, but they're the punks.
2: <laughs> Maybe they're the soccer punks. I don't know. Well, I'm going to go with uh, the boppers, just for the style. The glittery purple vest, the dress shirt, the hat, the slacks. They're just cool, suave, and they look good. <laughs> I, be I, I,
0: I considered the riffs for a second, but I think the riffs are about 75% cult and only about 25% game. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't tell <laughs> people.
2: That's true. But you know, if there's one thing we know on this show, it's the cult of Keanu. We know Keanu would have no trouble making it through New York. He would neo his way right down Central Avenue right down 5th, right across the bridge and make it to wherever he was trying to go to, Matrix style. But, you know, there is always a connection. There's always a line. How does Keanu connect to the Warriors? J.
0: Well, and, and an answer I would like to give is that this movie was remade and Lawrence Fishburne played Cyrus. Um, but that's never happened and not going to happen. I think he would be an awesome Cyrus, though. But here is the actual Keanu connection. Sometimes an actor is trapped by their face. Think of Brad Pitt. Now, when you think of all the weirdo movies he's been in, think about 12 Monkeys and Snatch. When I see him in those movies, he seems to be really invested and having fun. But because of how he looks, he ends up in all these pretty boy roles. I mean, have you seen Meet Joe Black? He was bored too. Um, Then there are guys like Paul Giamatti. That dude has charisma. He's got huge acting chops. But he's not a leading man because of how he looks. But there is an even worse alternative. When you have the kind of face that people think you'd be great as the star of a movie about Charles Manson. Well, this actor has had a very long run playing these kinds of bad guys, thugs, and nutjobs. And it all began here with his role as Luther. It continued for me, most memorably, in The Crow as the bad guy who just wanted to burn things. <laughs> but most recently, David Patrick Kelly was in the first two John Wick movies with our beloved Keanu. David Patrick Kelly is our Keanu connection.
2: <gasps> hey, Jamie. Fire it,
0: <laughs> fire it up. Fire it up. Fire it up. He's got two iconic lines, right? Warriors come out to play and fire it up. <clears throat> and fire it up, there well, I Well, I know
2: initially, when I seen the date on this movie, I said, ooh, this Keanu connection is going to be tough. Then I'm watching the movie, and I hear Luther on the phone for the first time. I, say, <laughs> I know that man. <laughs> yeah. So I did an IMDb dive and he said, there's our Keanu connection.
0: <laughs> well, I figured between Walter Hill, David Patrick Kelly, and James Remar, I had a shot. And so I both, that's where I went right away. So, yeah. All right, guys. Well, our uh, next quest, uh, Sam, why don't you preview it for us? Oh, I'm so excited. So we
3: are doing the 1989 martial arts movie extravaganza uh, Best of the Best.
2: Jamie, oh, I, or Sam, you did, did you get the memo? Best of
3: the Best, right?
2: Did, did, did you get the memo? Did you read the memo?
3: Yeah, it's the Best of the Best.
2: No, it's the Best of our first 100. We're doing a best of our first 100 episodes.
0: Although, I was a teenager in the 90s. I did love best of the best. I rented that thing (laughs) from the rental place more than once.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: I rented it once, saw enough, and was done. So, we're doing the best of our first 100 podcasts (laughs) on the next episode. So, guys...
0: it we can't count. <laughs> <Except> we <laughs> can't count suckers it's the best 101 episodes <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Math, math is hard Jamie <laughs> math is hard See, Scheduling I, is I've tough. got an
0: excuse I wasn't here from the beginning <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, until next time we're going to spar with Eric Roberts as we keep it nerdy